Welcome back to another edition of Down to the Wire, the weekly headline news source on the local Paycast channel. Once again, joined by my NHL analyst, Nolan Thode. Uh, Nolan, how are you doing today? You know, I'm not bad. How are you, Michael? Uh, I'm doing as good as I can. Uh, you know, the Habs kind of struggling there, but, it, you know, there's always two sides to look at it. They completely shell the Winnipeg Jets, but then, uh, you know, they have their success against Vancouver, and that sort of uh, surely died off against the Winnipeg, uh, or not the Winnipeg Jets, they play them tonight, but the Calgary Flames surprisingly come off to a hot, that's a pun right there, a hot start uh, yeah. in their, you know, new coach. So, you know, I'm looking for an Edmonton win tonight as the Montreal Canadiens are only two points ahead of the Calgary Flames. And, you know, like we've, uh, like all the analysts and all the people have predicted, the, uh, you know, North Division is certainly coming down to the wire. No, yeah, it's super close. And uh, I think we'll all be tuning into the Battle, battle of Alberta on Monday night. Well, you know, last Monday, let's recap the news during the week. Uh, you know, we learned that there could be draft lottery changes, uh, you know, to the system that could be coming. So that is uh, teams limited to new, no more than two lotteries, uh, two lottery wins in a five-year period. Teams are only allowed to jump up 10 spots with a lottery win. A reduction in the number of picks decided by a lottery from three to two. A potential change, you know, these potential changes won't take effect until 2022. Uh, and previous lottery victories will not count as a team's total. So that's a clean slate for all teams. Personally, uh, I hate it. I don't, you know, the way the NHL has sort of staged the draft lottery is kind of like this huge event, right? It's broadcasted on TV. Uh, and, you know, everyone kind of tunes in, gets their popcorn. It's actually quite fun, even though if, yeah. you know, if your team's not in it, or if your team is in it, it's still fun for everyone. That's how I kind of view it. And I feel like by putting these rules in, it, it takes the fun away. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of draft lottery. Uh, and the current rules, you know, I don't have too many issues with. Uh, you know, being an Oilers fan, we've been kind of, you know, gifted by the draft lottery within the last 10 years. But, you know, the current set of rules, it's not too bad, but it just kind of like, you know, I think preventing tanking is what the NHL is kind of just trying to do with, you know, the whole draft lottery system. Uh, but we'll see, you know, these new proposed rules, how much of an impact it will have. And, you know, I feel like when you do win, right, a draft lottery, there's the rule where you can't have two lottery wins in a five-year period. I don't really like that uh, simply because, you know, if you draft a bust, uh, you, you know, within – uh, that five-year period, it's almost saying like you need a hockey degree to understand the draft lottery, right? You shouldn't need a hockey degree to understand the sport. And I feel like that's what NHL is trying to do. And, I, and I'm certainly not a fan of it. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. And uh, just, I guess, parity in the league, just in terms of, you know, where prospects are going. I see what they're kind of trying to do with, you know, making sure that, you know, teams aren't just going to be able to build through the draft completely and get stacked. You know, there's other elements to building a contending team. Uh, but, you know, we'll just see. And, you know, more news on this will come, I'm sure, you know, before any, you know, official rules have been changed. Again, on Monday, Demko with another solid performance against Montreal. Uh, I think that was the game that uh, Vancouver won in a shootout. Uh, you know, I think he is instilling confidence within the Canucks fan base. I think they have... Uh, found, I guess, a starting goaltender they can run with because uh, certainly he's not giving the net back to Holpe. Yeah, no, he's been lights out. And, you know, it was kind of a split tandem at the start of the year, but it just seems that Demko's absolutely run away with this net. And I don't, you know, like you said, I don't see him giving it back anytime soon. 
Leon Dreisaitl, I know the superstar for the Oilers there, he ended a eight-game goal drought with a goal and assist uh, against Ottawa there on Monday night. And, you know, when you talk about an eight-game goal drought with Dreisaitl, who's now on a line with McDavid and Yamamoto, uh, you know, it's crazy to think that he would go and, you know, McDavid was playing with Puyolarvi and I think Yamamoto and Dreisaitl was with Ennis and RNH. I could be wrong there. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, we don't really see Dreisaitl go on that big of a drought because he's so dominant. Yeah, you know, the three of those games were against uh, Toronto. So, you know, th- it was a tough game, you know, for the Oilers as a whole. Um, but, you know, just to get the monkey off the back, you know, ending it against Ottawa, like I said in the last episode, you know, Ottawa's that kind of team. If you need a confidence booster, you can sort of, you know, put out your players and maybe get it against them. Uh, but, you know, it's just good because if, if it went any longer than eight games, then, you know, conf- confidence issues and all that can start to play an effect. And with a player like Dreisaitl, you know, he's been super confident and been able to, you know, score at a high rate, you know, 50 goal, uh, you know, 50 goals two seasons ago and then, you know, one of the top Richard guys last year. Uh, it's just, it, it, it's weird when he's not putting the puck in the net, you know, every other game or so. On Tuesday, it was Patrick Kane's 1,000th game against the, the Dallas Stars. And to celebrate what he did and what the Blackhawks agreed upon was he did a video, uh, you could call it ASMR or whatever you want, of him, uh, you know, putting you to sleep by counting 1 through 1,000. And uh, it's like an hour-long video. Uh, you know, you could basically listen to it as a podcast if you wanted to. Uh, and I thought that was kind of a, a funny, neat way uh you know, to see someone celebrate their 1,000th game because teams are finding new ways to uh, celebrate these milestones. Yeah, you know, I, I wonder where he came up with the idea to do that. You know, I, I know I'm not going to be watching the full hour long, you know, one to a 1,000. You know, I, number, I know my numbers fairly well. You know, perhaps if it was McDavid, you know, maybe I'd watch just because I'm an Oilers fan. But, you know, just great 1,000 games for Patrick Kane, you know, one of the best players, you know, best American, one of the best American players of all time for sure. Chicago definitely didn't come to play on Kane's 1,000th game as they lost that 6-1 to Dallas. And, you know, the, I guess you could say the, the pregame stuff was uh, fun and all that, you know, with the whole uh, video there counting 1 through 1,000. But then when it comes to game time, uh, you know, the Blackhawks didn't show up. It was an embarrassment. Yeah, you know, a very unfortunate you know, to lose 6-1 on any at any given night is tough. And especially, you know, when your, your star player is celebrating such a milestone. The Buffalo Sabres are hosting fans starting on March 20th against the Boston Bruins for select home games. Uh, you know, and I kind of bold select there because I, I find that key terminology that they aren't allowing fans for the rest of the home games or, you know, the rest of the season. It's like, you know, they aren't sure that fans will buy tickets. Yeah, you know, uh, the season ticket holders, uh, they rejected, you know, their seats to come back. So now they're opening, you know, tickets to the general public. It's just, you know, really unfortunate everything that has happened for the Sabres this year. And, you know, now, now you know, Eichel's going to be missing time and such. It's just going to be tough to, you know, fill the, fill the stadium. And one way they could fill the stadium is hoping that Boston Bruins fans uh, will hopefully snag up those tickets, and I'm pretty sure they, they will be. So uh, if that game is televised or if you find it on a streaming site, uh, we might see the KeyBank Center be full of Boston Bruins fans. Yeah, I'm not sure what game it was, but over the weekend I did watch a game, and I, I saw in the crowd, you know, a couple of – I think it was, you know, the Devils Islanders they played last night. 
and and you know you saw a couple islanders fans in the devil stadium so you know whatever it takes to get the you know limited capacity you know filled up darcy kemper could miss up to four weeks uh, that's a huge blow for Arizona because they rely heavily on goaltending. They seem to be a defense approach. Uh, they're in one of those slumps where they can't get offense from the guys who should be providing their uh, offense, like guys like Kessel, uh, you know, Christian Dvorak's another one. Uh, you know, Connor, Connor Garland's having a struggle there. So it's a huge blow for Arizona. And like we saw in the bubble, they couldn't keep up. Uh, with Colorado due to uh, lack of goal scoring. So, you know, Arizona is one of those teams who relies heavily on goaltending. Exactly. Over the last two seasons, Darcy Kemper has been, you know, one of the top goalies in the league. If you, you know, actually sit down to watch an Arizona game, just he's incredible. And, you know, missing him for time definitely hurts them. And, you know, they, they have kind of, you know, Auntie Ranta as well, but he's been dealing with some injuries too. Uh, Aiden Hill, he's been solid, a little unproven, and it just sucks that the team's going through a little bit of an offensive slump at this time as well. I think that we are seeing more fights this season than normal, and that could be due to the divisional alignment, and maybe it's because of the schedule where you play these two, three-game sets against one opponent, uh, but it's there's definitely more fights that are happening than in a normal 82-game season, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, when it came out that you they were only going to be playing the couple teams that with it were in their own division, I kind of got excited just because of a rivalry sort of element. You know, when you're playing these teams, you know, nine to ten times in a year, you're going to develop somewhat of a hatred for them. And I think, you know, fights increasing is definitely, you know, attributed to that. And, you know, it can only get more, I guess, brutal, uh, for lack of a better term, when we get to the playoffs, since you've been playing this team for, you know, 10 times the season, and then you get, you know, a minimum of four games up against them in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm super excited for the playoffs in this season, just because, you know, the teams pretty much have a book on every other team in their own division. So the, you know, coaching is going to come into play and really be an impact. But, you know, once you get out of your division, you haven't played these guys in, you know, over a year, uh, it, it, depending on, you know, who you played in the playoffs in the bubble last year, or even if you were in the bubble, but uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, playoff for sure. We got news about the American TV deal. NBC is the current rights holder, and that is set to expire after this season. ESPN agreed to a seven-year NHL TV deal starting next fall, which is 2022 or uh, 2021, uh, expected to host four of seven Stanley Cup finals between 2022 and 2028 uh the nhl is currently working on a b package so espn is the full a package uh the b package will host the remaining three of seven stanley cup finals so you know i want to get your take before i i'll uh share my uh thoughts you know i'm super happy just because you know it's kind of been you know somewhat of a you know reoccurring kind of joke that espn doesn't really focus too much on hockey uh, I follow the main ESPN account on Instagram and, you know, occasionally, you know, maybe once in a couple months, they'll post a hockey post and all the comments will be like, oh, you finally posted hockey, you know, it, it hockey just kind of gets the short end of the stick in terms of, you know, the four major North American sports leagues uh, from ESPN coverage. But I think, you know, now, uh, you know, them buying into it, it does seem that they're going to try to, you know, pay more attention. And I think it's just going to be big for the game in terms of growing, you know, its target audience. Yeah, and I think ESPN is uh, sort of a bigger market than NBC, in my opinion. Um, so I think growing the game, it's good for the NHL to side with ESPN. The B package, however, is still wide open. It's reported that, you know, Fox or NBC could be, uh, you know, could get the B package. 
Um, but we don't know who it is yet. Uh, so e ABC and ESPN, uh, they're both owned. Uh, we'll have one conference final. There's going to be 25 regular season games on uh, the two networks there. And, you know, the NHL owners are praising Gary Bettman uh, for getting a deal done during a pandemic, whether, uh, you know, it's been so negative that, uh, you know, finally a, a commissioner, uh, you know, I guess one of the best commissioners uh, has gotten a deal done um, that, you know, this deal is worth over $400 million. It's double than the NBC deal. So, you know, hopefully ESPN gets good commentators. A lot of people are saying Gary Thorne is going to be back. Uh, you know, we never got to listen to uh, how good Gary Thorne was, right? So yeah. uh, I'm hoping we do get him back as a potential play-by-play. -play. Um, yeah, and, you know, there's apparently going to be a Thursday national broadcast for ESPN. And, you know, that's all that I've heard of uh, on Twitter and around uh, the news source. So I, I like it. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a change of scenery, and I'm open for it. No, yeah, I'm super excited and just growing the game, you know, going to the point you made about Gary Bettman. I think, you know, whether you love him or hate him, I think, you know, he has been positive in terms of, you know, I think his goal more so with the, you know, his outlook of being the commissioner is trying to, you know, grow the game and get, you know, fans into the rinks and trying to, you know, brand, brand hockey, you know, more than it had been before. And I think, you know, you look at Bettman in his tenure as commissioner, I think he has done, you know, a solid job. Toronto and Winnipeg kicked off a crucial series for the top team in the North Division. Uh, you know, we saw uh, Connor Hellebuck turn into basically his vest in a trophy form during that season or during that series. And, you know, he was stopping so many high danger chances from Toronto slot shots, tips, deflections, uh, you know, really seeing through track traffic, being positionally well. I love that series. Uh, that was one of my, you know, so far favorite series to watch uh, during the season. No, and I agree with you on that. I think, you know, this last, you know, they had a three-game series over the last week. And I think it just, you know, for fans of the North Division like you and you and myself and just fans of the league, I think, you know, it, it's exciting. And hopefully we are able to see Toronto and Winnipeg, whether it be in the first round or, you know, to win the North face in the playoffs. Because, you know, the games that they have played have been really close, really entertaining and just solid hockey throughout. And, you know, going on your point there of, you know, very exciting, Tuesday was filled of exciting games. There were, you know, a couple blown leads, such as the one that the Caps blew to the New Jersey Devils. Uh, the Caps blew a 4-1 lead. However, they did recover to win 5-4 uh, in overtime. The Sabres blew a 3-1 lead uh, they had, and another 4-2 lead against Philly in the same night. They ended up earning a loser's point in the shootout. And five games, uh, you know, either went to overtime or shootout. So definitely a fun-filled action, action-packed night there on Tuesday. Yeah, it was a great night. Lots of goals. You know, when the Sabres are scoring four goals, I think, you know, just it's a good thing for the league. They've been struggling as of late and to be able to put four on the board in one game, especially against a team like Philly. You know, they chased Carter Hart. If you had told me that before the game started, maybe I wouldn't have believed you. But, you know, definitely a great night just around the league. A huge accomplishment for Barry Trotz, uh, who reached 1,700 games as a coach. He's a two-time Jack Adams Award winner, and he obviously won the Stanley Cup in 2018 with the Washington Capitals. You know, the Islanders won that game they played on Tuesday night in the shootout. And, you know, who knows? Maybe he could be the uh, Team Canada coach, because I think he certainly is a front runner for that. 
Yeah, Barry Trotz, just one of the most accomplished coaches. You know, I was super happy for him to get that cup in 2018 because it seems like, you know, he's done everything in the league now. Uh, just, you know, very successful and the record speaks for himself. You know, being able to go to New York after Washington and turn, turn you know, what people didn't think was a, you know, playoff roster to, you know, a really competitive team. On Wednesday, Dante Fabro was suspended for two games uh, for his elbow on Brock McKinn uh, of the Carolina Hurricanes. And if you watch the replay there, uh, it's pretty evident that, you know, there was head contact. Uh, you know, it seemed as though, um, you know, head was the principal point of contact, in my opinion. Uh, but, you know, he has since returned from that suspension. So there's no need So you know, for Preds fans, there's no need to worry about him uh, not being in the lineup. Yeah, you know, for those two games, it was a little bit of a worry because, you know, they're missing Roman Yossi at the time and Ryan Ellis as well. So big blow to their defense. But, you know, just in terms of the suspension, you know, I agree with it. Just like you said, head was the main, you know, principal point of contact. And, you know, it was just a fair suspension given out by the league. Kapo Kakinen is making a name for himself in the Calder Trophy race because he went on an eight-game win streak for the Minnesota Wild, which is, you know, the longest all-time by a Minnesota Wild rookie goalie. And it's actually the longest win streak by any goalie this season. So, you know, Minnesota went on such a tear this past week. You know, they're second in the West. And I think, you know, they're a legit playoff contender team they are a force to be reckoned with because you know we can talk about Kirill Kaprizov and you know what he brings to what offense he brings to that team and then you know coming out next you got Jordan Greenway Joel Erickson and Marcus Foligno who Marcus Foligno has been one of the hottest players as of late uh you know he's since uh, been injured for a couple weeks he won't be back but uh nonetheless Minnesota has a really good top six you know and Kirill Kaprizov really has good chemistry with Matt Zuccarello yeah, you know, over the last probably five or 10 years, Minnesota's always kind of been solid on the back end in terms of, you know, defense. You know, they got guys like Ryan Sutter, Spurgeon, Brodeen, Dumba, just a really solid uh, group. Uh, and then their goaltending has been solid as well. But it's just kind of, you know, been waiting for the offense to take off and they're able to be a very successful team. And now, you know, with the emergence of, you know, my call, their favorite, at least Kirill Kaprizov, you know, they're able to be, you know, a super competitive team and, you know, not only being competitive, but they're doing so in a fun way where, you know, in past years, maybe Minnesota's, you know, getting wins. However, they're doing it in a boring way. Uh, but this year, you know, Minnesota has been a team to turn into. I agree. And, you know, I think that Minnesota is now fun for us to watch, whether it's you want to watch it for Kapil Kakinen or the aforementioned Kirill Kaprizov. Either way, if your first two initials or if your first, yeah, first two initials of your first and last name are K and K, you're better be, uh, you better be watching in. Yeah, no, for sure. Minnesota's been good this season. It's been exciting. During that, uh, you know, Wednesday night game between the Minnesota Wild and the Las Vegas Golden Knights, Dylan Coughlin scored his first NHL goal, and then he followed that up with his first career hat-trick in the same game. I mean, you know, it sucks that Minnesota won 4-3. Uh, they were leading 4-1, actually. And, um, you know, I just thought that was kind of a cool accomplishment for the young stud uh, there in Vegas. Yeah, I I'm not 100% sure, but I think he's a defenseman as well. And, you know, you know, if a player comes in a forward they score a hat trick I feel like you know it's it's super impressive but when a defenseman does it it's even more and you know just to keep adding on to it it was the you know his first career goal in that game as well just an incredible night for him unfortunate they weren't able to you know pull out the win 
Leon Dreisaitl recorded five points against Ottawa on Wednesday night. Edmonton is perfect against Ottawa. And, you know, it seems like Ottawa plays tough against, you know, Toronto, who's a top team, you know, the Jets, who are a top team. And, you know, we can always mention Montreal, but then when they come up, you know, against Edmonton, it's like they're Swiss cheese. You know, there's so many holes that Edmonton exploits and, you know, they do a pretty good job. So, uh, you know, for people that argue, you know, oh, Montreal isn't legit because, you know, they're only good against Vancouver. Well, I mean, what does that say about Edmonton? Is Edmonton not legit because half of their points have come against Ottawa? They're they're perfect like 7-0-0 or something like that. So, I mean, I don't know. It, that's just two sides of the story. Yeah, I remember, I think, I, I'm not sure what our lowest point was, but it was either 3-5 and five or 3-6 and six to start the season. But I told myself, I said, we haven't played Ottawa yet. And when you're countering in these Ottawa games, I think we can start to get on our feet a little bit. And it just seems that, you know, we've been able to take advantage of when we are playing Ottawa. You know, we seem to, you know, bring our game. And, you know, whether it be getting a close win, we can still pull out or, you know, just absolutely dominating them. The Oilers just seem to have Ottawa's number all season. Matt Murray is now at an 880 save percentage, and it is currently not the best if you're a Sens fan that, uh, you know, wants to see Murray succeed. And, you know, that contract is not looking good as well. Yeah, you know, the contract was signed, you know, long-term potentially to have that starter. But, you know, if he's coming in and putting in an 880, He's not getting a ton of support either. He's kind of just getting shots and shots on. He's either going to, you know, save the puck and have a great, you know, maybe like 940, one goal against performance, or he's going to get shelled and maybe even pulled. So it's just unfortunate for that, you know, sort of goalie carousel in Ottawa, which, you know, we at the podcast have been paying a little bit more attention to than, you know, maybe the average person. You know, Leon Dreisaitl had his third career hat trick uh, against Ottawa. And, you know, that's 15 points for him uh, this season against the one team. And he sits two points shy of the most by an active player against one opponent in a single season. That's insane. So he's, he's going to pass it. He's going to accomplish that record. Yeah. Was, was that, did you write that on uh, the Wednesday or was I, that? I, I think, I think it, it could be, it could be on the Wednesday. I thought I updated it because I went through my notes on Sunday, but he may have passed it. He may have surpassed it. Yeah, they played on Friday, so, you know, he might have passed that already. But, you know, 15 points against one opponent is just crazy. And, you know, if they play Ottawa a couple more times, it's only, you know, with Leon Dreisaitl, I think he'll he'll get it. I mean, what a, what a German, you know, he is so good. The lethal German, the great German, you know, what a draft pick that was. He is certainly, uh, you know, a force to be reckoned with. And, you know, when you put McDavid and Dreisaitl together on one line, that's a human highlight reel I could watch 24-7. Like, you know, he got McDavid's IQ, you, you know, his head ups all the way. He's looking for dry side like 97% of the time. That's no pun on his number. But mm-hmm. I mean, if you just watch, like, it, it's so fun watching the Oilers highlights. I have a great time. Absolutely. I was at work for this game, actually. Um, and I looked at my phone near the end of my shift and I saw Leon Dreisaitl goal 6 nothing Edmonton. And I went, geez, I'm missing a good game. And I eventually got home and was able to watch the highlights. And my jaw was just on the floor the whole time. Those two are very uh, special pair to watch. Speaking of goaltenders, like we mentioned with Matt Murray, uh, you know, the argument for Price is, you know, he's found his game. Let's go through his last five games. So on uh, March 13th, uh, he had a 917 save percentage versus Calgary. On March 10th, he had a 958 save percentage versus Vancouver. On March 8th, he had a 966 save percentage versus Vancouver. 
March 6th, he had a 963 save percentage versus Winnipeg. And on March 2nd, he had a 963 save percentage against Ottawa. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's price went on that slump. You know, there's no doubt about that, but it, it seems like he's found his game and maybe it was because of Stefan Way. It really does look like that because now he's playing with more confidence uh, you know, his hands are out in front of him. He seems to be tracking the puck more. Yeah. Uh, whoever, do you know the specific guy that they hired as the new goalie coach? Sean Burke. But uh, he was in quarantine. So this is like the Laval like, goalie coach. Yeah. So, you know, he's just, you know, making a name for him to stay, you know, having a job on the Canadians coaching staff. But, you know, Carey Price, just one thing you don't do with superstar players is doubt them because, you know, you give them enough time and eventually they'll be able to prove themselves and, you know, I'm happy that Carey Price has been able to do so over the last five. And actually, as we speak right now, uh, I got the Nashville-Tampa game on in front of me. Nashville is up 3 nothing with eight minutes left in the second. So, oh, they just showed, uh, scored a shorty. Uh, not the best look for Tampa. They have Curtis McElhinney in the net. So, obviously, you know, I don't think Nashville would be able to put up these numbers uh, against Andre Vasilevsky. Yeah, very strange, you know, outcome. You know, when it was 0-0 after one, and when you were bringing up the score again, I wouldn't have expected 3 nothing with eight minutes to go in the second. Uh, Finish. Maybe oh, sorry. No, no, no worries. But maybe Nashville, you know, maybe it's the start of something new. Who knows? Uh, finishing off our notes on Wednesday, Evgeny Dadanov scored his 100th career goal, uh, you know, Wednesday against Edmonton. And, you know, in that 7-1 route, uh, you know, he's been – he was – in and out of the league, he's one of those guys that returned from the KHL. So it's good to see that he uh, accomplished that, uh, you know, certainly accomplished that um, you know, achievement. Yeah, no, 100%. He's been kind of up and down this season, but it is nice for him to get on the board, even if it is against the Oilers. On Thursday, it marked one year since the NBA shut its doors down, which was the first domino in the effect of uh, the sports world closing, and I think we can both agree that we are certainly happy to have sports on back again. No, absolutely. I was thinking the other day, you know, the, the time, you know, we're living in right now, it's it's not great. But the fact that we have sports, you know, every night we have, you know, a show that's put on, you know, by these athletes. I'm just super grateful that I am, you know, a sports fan just because I don't know what I'd be doing without it. Well, I'm going to share, uh, I guess I'll share a story of what I was doing. Uh, you know, I guess when I heard the news that, um, you know, the NBA was going to shut down and I, I, I was, I think I was driving home or something, uh, you know, and maybe, I don't know, actually, I don't know what exactly I was doing, but I, I the only thing I remember from that wild day, like it was a wild day at school, uh, you know, it, it seemed like the coronavirus was going to impact North America in some shape or form. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to see the uh, you know, Rudy Gobert test positive, uh, it, it certainly wasn't a pleasant sight. But there was just an ink, like I, I had a feeling that the NHL would just continue. You know, and I said to one of my buddies, like, "There's no way the NHL pauses their game. Like, there's there's absolutely no way the NHL would stop season because of this." And yeah, that's you know, I think. I, I agree with you in being an optimist back then. I, I, I was not, you know, prepared for what, what was to come. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it, it wasn't, it's not me. Sorry. It's not me kind of like blocking it out. It's more, it's more or less just me not knowing, right? Like we didn't know what this virus was a year ago. 
we were just informed about, you know, you'd read it in the news, but it's, it's something far away. And, you know, we're not, we're not worried about it. We're, mm-hmm. we still pack the stands, even when mm-hmm. the World Health Organization announced on March 11th that it's a global pandemic. We just went out of business, you know, we were living our, you know, I guess, past normal lives. That's yeah. a weird sense to say, but it's true. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just, when I was driving home, I get the notification and, you know, it's like the NBA shuts down. It's like, oh no. So I, I didn't, I didn't expect the NHL to, but that's, uh, it, that's my feeling on the, you know, the one year anniversary. Yeah. You know, the week leading up to it, actually, you know, there was some news in terms of, I think, you know, San Jose, you know, them in the Oakland area, they had already agreed that they weren't going to have fans in the stands. And that was kind of weird. And I remember I was sitting on my couch, you know, playing video games in in my basement. And I looked at my phone and it said, you know, jazz, thunder game postponed. And I kind of looked at that and I was like, oh, okay, what's happening? And then I remember I I finished playing video games and I went upstairs and my dad said, you know, the NBA has been suspended, you know? And I said, what? And I looked on the TV and him and I, we kind of had the same idea, you know, we thought maybe that was the start of something. So we at 10 PM on, you know, whatever night it was, we went straight to the grocery store and, you know, there were some people with the same idea as us, but, you know, just a crazy night. Uh, and, you know, one year later, you know, it's had such an impact on our lives. Now, do you agree with uh, the statement of how, do you think this like holds the same weight as an example of like Jose Bautista's home run in the ALDS? Like it's one of those where, you know, you, you had to be there moments, you know, it's, we'll never, you know, you always know where you you were when you heard the news. Yeah, you know, I, I remember exactly where I was for Jose Bautista. But um, yeah, I think this definitely compares to that. I think, you know, just sports moments there are, you know, you remember where you were when this shot was made or, you know, this save was made. However, I think this, you know, applies to even non-sports fans. Just I think that, you know, shutting down of the NBA had such a, you know, global impact. And it, it really was the start of, you know, the downfall of everything that happened in March 2020. Well, speaking of global impact, Gary Bettman and Bill Daly had a Zoom conference to discuss the, you know, how the impact, uh, the league, how it's been impacted the past year due to the coronavirus. Uh, Starting off, the North Division, they said, is is an only one-time thing. They want to bring back regular divisions for the 2021-2022 season. Uh, You know, Elliot Freeman reported on Saturday headlines that, uh, you know, Canadian teams want to see the North division again, uh, because they want fans to enjoy it. Uh, you know, so there's actually going to be a flat cap for the next four seasons, which means that, you know, players won't be getting the raise they, uh, expected to, which is very unfortunate. Uh, it's going to be very hard to make a revenue for owners. Um, the current plan is not to have a bubble for the playoffs, but it's way too early to judge right now due to the, you know, COVID being uh, up and down basically every day. The NHL and the International Olympic Committee, uh, you know, the talks are on the back burner as the IOC wants to focus on the Olympics that are currently set for this summer uh, in Beijing 2021. The draft is likely to stay put on July 23rd, 24th. That, you know, for that date, um, the changes to the draft lottery could be finalized as early as next week. Batman believes there isn't tanking in the NHL, which I saw trending on Twitter. Uh, that you know, it's very odd that a commissioner would say that because a prime example would be the 2015 Buffalo Sabres. 
And Batman to close out the conference, the last tweet that I saw, or the last news cycle uh, that I wrote down was that Batman has had both vaccine doses. So, which, you know, we kind of touched on last week saying that players uh, are, you know, they can get the vaccine and, you know, who knows, uh, who knows how many players have received the vaccine. It's very undetermined. It's not released to the public, but Batman decided to say, yeah, I've had both vaccine doses. Um, but yeah, uh, that's been, that's just basically the zoom conference, uh, in a nutshell. Yeah. I think it's a positive thing for Batman to, you know, kind of publicly say that he's gotten the vaccine just because, you know, I think it's a good thing, you know, for NHL fans, if they see the commissioner of the league getting vaccine, you know, it might, it might drive them to, you know, have the mindset of that, that being the right thing. And, you know, hopefully, you know, the, the world can start to slowly become, you know, like you said, what our normalized work normal lives were before this all happened the key word you're kind of uh, slipping up on is authority right it adds that authority that a big name person in sports world um you know has gone has gone the vaccine right mm-hmm. no for sure and actually it was uh during the habs and canucks game uh that same night elliot freeman said during one of the intermissions that helmet ads could uh, be something that stays past uh the COVID season there's been uh you know positive news coming from that for owners uh, that are getting revenue from them. Personally, I hate this. As a fan, I don't like it. I want team logos back on the helmets because that's the way I grew up. What scares me, What you know, there, there's a little feeling that I'm scared about that's going to be exposed to jerseys. But yeah. I have a feeling that, you know, players won't agree to that. I think the NHLPA won't agree to, you know, having ads on the jersey. But I'm not sure you know, how the financials were, or the, you know, the discussions work about that. Like, I'm not sure if the NHL can force that or if the, you know, the PA has some sort of voice in that. I would hope the PA has some voice. Yeah, hundred percent. I think you and I, you know, we both, like you said, grew up just watching, you know, the logo on the helmet. I think I've gotten somewhat used to the ads on the helmet and in the time of the league, I think, you know, any way for the, you know, league to be making revenue is a positive thing. And like you said, you know, I just hope it doesn't end up, you know, having ads on the jerseys just because I think, you know, as, as an NHL fan, that's something that I, I would not want to be watching. The, the Vegas Golden Knights are increasing their fan capacity from 15 to 20 percent. That is huge news as, you know, who knows how many fans they will be getting in towards playoff time. Like we could probably get up to 30, 35 percent if I'm, you know, if I'm being honest. Yeah, no, these slow increases, you know, the, the 5% at the time might not be big, but if they keep doing this every couple of weeks, you know, eventually, you know, things, things are going to be back to normal. And it's just, it's just a positive thing to see that these, you know, teams are able to do this. Getting into some Habs talk for a quick second, Ben Sherratt suffered a fractured hand in a fight with JT Miller on Wednesday. It was reported today that Ben Sherratt is now out six to eight weeks uh, you know, basically the end of the season. So that's a huge blow uh, for Montreal's top four. You, you know, you could argue top two as well because he was playing top two minutes alongside of Jay, or, uh, Shea Weber. Mm-hmm. And, you know, although people criticize Schrott heavily, I see it all the time on Habs Twitter, uh, you know, they play 23 minutes a night, they as in Shea Weber and him, against star players in the North Division, such as duos like McDavid, Dreisaitl, Matthews Marner, Shafley, Ehlers, uh, you know, you can also put in Shafley Wheeler as well. Uh, and, you know, the, the list could go on. And, you know, Matthews has been held goalless in three or four games versus Montreal. McDavid has two si- two assists 
and zero goals versus Montreal. Drysidle has one assist and zero goals in three games. So those are, you know, in three games against Montreal. Mm-hmm. Elias Pettersson has two goals and zero assists in five games versus Montreal. So just by reading those numbers and stats, that shows you just how important Sherratt is to this Montreal defense. Exactly. You know, paired with Shea Weber, you just kind of need that shutdown pair uh, to be able to go up and go head to head with the, you know, neck of the other team's best players. Obviously, you know, maybe maybe the other teams are still beating the Habs. However, it's going to put you at an advantage when, you know, you know, you're slowing down the top guys and you're just going to be able to rely on your guys to, you know, get their jobs done. To add to the tire fire in Buffalo Sabres land, Buffalo omits Jeff Skinner from PP line, PP1, uh, even with Jack Eichel out of the lineup, uh, you know, the PP line one was Delene Reinhardt, all, Hall, Ristolainen, and Olofsson. Uh, you know, when you, in, you know, he wasn't even on PP line two, I don't think. So, you know, we, we can obviously take this data and extract it and saying Phil Kruger, Coach Kruger, is underutilizing Skinner. Like, how do you expect a guy who's playing fourth line jail time, you know, basically five, six minutes a night, yeah. To, to help you score 40 goals or to help you get up to what he was normally at his, you know, regular scoring pace. Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at the power play, I think, you know, the five guys that they ro- roll out there on the ice, I, I don't maybe disagree with Skinner not being on that, but it's even just you look at five on five times. Skinner's not even in the top six with Eichel out of the lineup. You got guys like Riley Shahan, you know, being first line center. It's just a wild time and they're still neglecting to give, you know, Jeff Skinner any opportunity. Jordan Bennington signs a six times six, six years for six mil. Uh, you know, I think this is a good, or this is a good deal. Uh, I don't think it's too pricey. You know, it's a it totals out to 36 mil, uh, you know, and hopefully Bennington can get back to that 2019 form that he was, you know, when he won that Stanley cup. And I think this sets the market value for, you know, another free agent goalie like Freddie Anderson. And I think that Freddie Anderson, he's worth six mil. But I don't think he's worth anything more than that because what he's proven to me is only first round exits. So I'm not sure if I would be safe, uh, you know, if I would be happy paying Anderson like a seven or a seven and a half uh, million million a year contract. Yeah, I don't think he gets it either. I, I, I kind of like these six by six contracts, you know, maybe a little more term for less money. You know, Jacob Markstrom signed, you know, a similar deal with Calgary in the offseason. And I just think, you know, in terms of goaltending, they're a big part of the team. However, you know, you can't be giving up too much of your salary to them, like, you know, a Carey Price contract or a Sergei Bobrovsky. Um, it just really, you know, hinders your team's ability to, you know, build around them. And I think, you know, $6 million for a guy like Bennington is definitely a fair price. I thought that Detroit actually played Tampa really well in their two games set against, uh, yeah, you know, against one another. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, on Tuesday, the Lightning won against Detroit in overtime. And actually, Detroit beat Tampa Bay uh, 6-4 on Thursday. So, you know, we have to keep playing these bottom feeder teams, uh, you know, as hard as possible. Because no matter what you tell me about the odds or, you know, the puck line, whatever, there's always that chance that, you know, an upset could happen. And we basically saw that with this series uh, between Detroit and Tampa. No, 100%. You can't underestimate these teams that, you know, might be taken a little bit lightly. We've seen Ottawa, you know, beat Toronto a couple times this year. You know, you look at Detroit beating Tampa. Just, you know, on any given night, especially in the NHL, you know, I, I feel like any team can win, and that's just what makes the sport so interesting. The Florida Panthers showed heavy resilience against the Columbus Blue Jackets. 
Uh, you know, when they came back to win 4-1, uh, they suffered a 4-1 deficit to win mm-hmm. in overtime. And, you know, I think that shows a lot of character for this Panthers team. Uh, you know, it shows that, you know, they, they basically battled until the final buzzer. And that's what you have to do in this league because in a 56-game schedule, like we see, uh, you know, on Tuesday, like we mentioned, there's been five games there that went to overtime or shootout. So you always got to play until the final buzzer. And what I'm seeing from this league is that no matter the lead, you know, you can be up 5-1 and choke that. You know, no matter the lead, uh, you never know until the final buzzer rings. No, exactly. And I think this was a big win for Florida just because they've been so solid all season. But, you know, just being able to have this kind of statement victory, uh, I think, is really positive. And, you know, you look at Florida uh, and you look at who they're playing, Columbus. I feel like Columbus is a really tough team to come back from a three-goal deficit just because, you know, the way they play, they kind of just already played a really defensive game. But when they're up by three, that probably shifts, you know, super extreme. And I think, you know, for Florida to be able to get the victory in that game, you know, just proves a lot. Uh, as their, you know, status as a contender uh, for this season. Well, speaking of contenders, uh, you know, not much media is focusing on this, but the Carolina Hurricanes and New York Islanders are on their share of hot winning streaks. Uh, You know, the Islanders are on a nine-game winning streak, I believe, and the Hurricanes are on an eight-game winning streak. So, you know, it's a very fun time to watch, to tune into hockey. And I, I, you know, I'm all for seeing, uh, you know, Carolina succeed and the Islanders succeed. We all know just how defensive trots is. Uh, I'm not too sure on the coaching scheme with Rod the Bod, Rod Brindamore there in Carolina, but I would assume it'd be more offensive due to their star talent. Um, But yeah, I got to love Carolina and New York on, you know, a long game winning streak. Exactly. You know, you see any team on a big winning streak and you just got to be able to tune into at some point in their games, just, you know, the level of play that they show, you know, during any stretch when they're, you know, finding a way to win a lot of games. It's just super exciting. And, you know, the Islanders and Carolina both just, you know, having their fair share of, you know, success right now. The Philadelphia Flyers, however, are on a cold streak. They're kind of trending in the wrong direction. Uh, They're 5-5 and 0 in their last 10, but they're on a two-game losing streak. And if we go by the numbers, right, with Carter Hart and Brian Elliott. So firstly, with Carter Hart, uh, the last five games, so he had an 846 save percentage March 13th versus the Capitals, but that was in relief of Brian Elliott, who started that game. He had a 625 save percentage March 9th versus the Sabres, which, you know, is the game that, uh, you know, Nolan, you said, oh, yeah, well, if you had told me that Carter Hart would have been pulled or chased, you know, that would be crazy. Uh, in you know, on March 7th, he had an 889 save percentage versus the Capitals. And on March 2nd, he had an 815 save percentage versus the Penguins. Uh, you know, we could go into the, let's go into the Brian Elliott talk then. So last five games for Brian Elliott, he had a 700 save percentage March 13th versus the Capitals. So he was, you know, that was the game that Elliott was pulled in. He had an 810 save percentage March 11th versus the Capitals. He had a 917 save percentage March 9th versus the Sabres in the comeback win. Uh, He was in relief of Carter Hart. He had an 852 save percentage March 6th versus the Penguins. And an 897 save percentage March 4th versus the Penguins as well. So, you know, the goaltending isn't really there for Philadelphia. Yeah, you know, Philadelphia last year was one of the hottest teams to end the season. And they kind of brought that into the bubble. Um making their way, you know, they lost to the Islanders in the conference semifinals. But this year, I don't know, they, they started off the season all right. Uh, but yeah, in their in their last couple of games, they, they've, uh, you know, 
been struggling a lot. They, they've had a lot of COVID issues as well this year, a lot of star talent missing big games. Um, but I think a big thing, you know, is that, you know, Philly has had, you know, talent on their roster. They've had Giroux for the last, you know, 10 years. They've had guys like Borchek, but, you know, their goaltending hasn't been consistent. And we thought we had that, you know, when Carter Hart kind of emerged as the starter. Um, but this year, you know, maybe a little bit of a different story. So we'll see how they recover. And actually, you mentioned about Kirill Kaprizov being your Calder Trophy nominee there. Well, on Friday, he recorded his first career hat-trick, a 4-0 shutout win versus Arizona. And, you know, I, I might buy a, you know, Subway jersey or the reverse retro of Minnesota, of Kaprizov, uh, that is. Uh, mm-hmm. He's just so fun to watch. Like, I love watching, uh, you know, him in the Ozone because he muscles off guys. It's not like he floats around uh but he muscles off guys he muscles off defenders to get that edge uh in the ozone there and i i love everything about him yeah i think he's a phenomenal skater you'll see instances where he gets the puck in the offensive zone and he kind of will just you know skate around in his own his own little head just kind of he'll go around the net but you know he creates space for himself and he's you know had a hot streak in terms of scoring and hopefully he'll be able to continue it a reason you know, I was, I, was, I was super high on him going into the season is because, you know, he's 23. He's McDavid's age, but he's playing as a rookie because he was in the KHL. So like you mentioned with muscling off, you know, he's a rookie, but he has, you know, that more mature body and he has experience playing against adults in the KHL. Well, that brings up the question there then. Does that, should the NHL, uh, you know, kind of switch the Calder Trophy settings? Because right now it's, you know, people that are aged 18 uh, you know, or you know, you're the first season uh, in the NHL, you're considered a rookie, but you know, it kind of makes it an unfair competition when you've played five years in the KHL, so you've you know, physically uh, developed better, you're more mature, um, than these guys that are just breaking into uh, the NHL, like a like a Jack Hughes or you know, a Capo Caco. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, that brings up the question do you think that the NHL should, I guess, adapt their uh, Calder uh, rules. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's definitely an interesting question. You know, maybe one of these days, some thirty-year-old guy will come into the league and win the Calder, and then they'll have to change the rule. But for now, I think it's fine. Uh, there's there's, but there definitely is a gap. You know, you have Panarin who came in. He won the Calder in his first season because you know he he was older than you know kind of the rest of the group. Uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting question you bring up. And actually, speaking on that point earlier about Leon Dreisaitl and saying that record, well, he actually did set the record on Friday night uh, with most points in, uh, versus an opponent in a single season versus the Senators with 17. And uh, during that same night, Connor McDavid was the first player to reach 50 points this season. So, you know, I think it's a very fun game to play when we say how many points is Connor McDavid going to achieve this season? Mm-hmm. No, exactly. I think, you know, they're just an interesting group and, you know, 56 games, it's different from 82, you know, where a hundred seems achievable, but, you know, we'll see what they're able to do in 56 games. The Vegas Golden Knights actually won their first ever game in St. Louis. Uh, they won in overtime 5-4. That was a real shootout. I had that game mm-hmm. on my TV and, uh, you know, I enjoyed every minute of it. I'm not sure if you watched it, but uh, it was a very fun game to say the least. Yeah, I tuned in as well, and it was great. Uh, you know, St. Louis looked like they were going to win it. You know, David Perron scored a power play goal in the third, uh, and, and I thought that was going to be it. But, you know, Alec Martinez, you know, tied things up for Vegas, and they were able to capitalize on the power play in OT. So John Tortorella, you know, denied to the 
media that he benched Patrick Laine uh, in their in their 4-1 loss, I believe, against Florida there in overtime. But, you know, Laine did miss the final six and a half minutes of the third period. He didn't see an overtime shift. So it's very, it brings up the question, like, it's very odd that, you know, Tortorella would bench Laine twice in, I guess, you know, twice as a Columbus Blue Jacket. You know, Laine's not even... Or, you know, he's just a month, like, you know, it's almost like been a month since the Line A Dubois trade. So, you know, I think, and you, Tortorella went out to the press and said, like, yeah, I'm putting my best five forwards out there or whatever. And, you know, I kind of disagree with him there because I think Line A is among one of the Jets or Jets, uh, one of the Columbus Blue Jackets' uh, best forwards. And, you know, this has been the second time that uh, Line A has been benched. So that brings up the question, like, does Tortorella run stars out of town? I think potentially, you know, we saw this issue with Dubois and he wanted to leave. I think Columbus just generally isn't a super exciting place to play. You know, if we have any listeners that live in the Columbus area, I'm sorry for kind of trashing on you a bit. But we've seen people, you know, for the most part, just leave, you know, within the last two years. You've had Matt Duchesne, Ryan Dezingle, Sergei Bobrovsky, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Artemi Panarin, these big-name guys, you know, leave Columbus. So I think it's a combination of Tortorella and, you know, just the city itself. But Tortorella, he's such an interesting coach and very polarizing. And, you know, it just doesn't work for every player. And it's weird because Line finished the game with one goal and one assist. Like, you don't bench a player when he contributes two points. And mm-hmm. if you actually watch the replay and analyze Line's position on the ice – it makes sense where he is, mm-hmm. you know, and one of the goals he's covering the backdoor pass, but you know, the, the pass from the corner goes to the point. Uh, so that's not Lonnie's fault because there's four Columbus blue jackets in the corner and he wants to make sure that the backdoor feed isn't there. So I think that's proper positioning. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, I just don't agree with, you know, Tortorella benching line. Yeah, no, and, and he'll go down saying that he didn't bench him, but, you know, it just, I feel like, you know, the, the the stats that you pulled up saying that he didn't play in the final, you know, six and a half minutes or an OT, you know, kind of proves that that was the situation. On Saturday, we got good news because Artemi Panarin, like you mentioned there in the Calder, uh, he returned after a nine-game absence because he went home to Russia due to that whole allegation there brought up by an old coach. Uh, so he returns after a nine-game absence, uh, versus Boston, he had one assist during the game, and the Rangers went 5-4-0 and during Panarin's absence. Uh, you know, the regulation losses suck, but at least uh, the wins, uh, you know, they got one more win than they did regulation loss. So it's good to see that the Rangers had a bit of success without Panarin. Exactly. You know, he, he was a heart candidate last year, and, you know, for MVP, you know, most valuable player, if you, if you take an MVP off any team, you know, it's going to be tough, but they were able to have a winning record. So that's super solid for them. You know, Chris Kreider, you know, thankful for my fantasy team. He was able to step up in that nine game absence as well. But, you know, just having Panarin back is just, you know, super good thing for Rangers fans. And we're going to add salt into the in the wound for Sabres fans because the Ico Tower is out a minimum of eight weeks, but they didn't clearly say that. That was reported by Aaron Ward. Uh, so, you know, the Sabres really just said, like, he's out for the foreseeable future. But, uh, you know, I'm going to take Aaron Ward's, uh, you know, tweet there basically saying, you know, he's out eight weeks. Uh, you know, he's out with a neck injury. So I think that's a pretty telling sign, you know, with eight weeks. Very dangerous area to get injured in. Um, but, you know, there's really nothing for the Sabres fans to watch for because Cousins is out day to day. He's still out. And now mm-hmm. the Eichel Tower is out. So, you know, there's nothing exciting to watch for Sabres fans. 
Exactly. You know, I, I can actually bring up a real example. My, you know, my bigger brother, he is a Sabres fan. And he told me today that, you know, out of their 10 game losing streak that they're currently on, he's probably watched, you know, about 20 minutes. It's just been super frustrating and, you know, tough to tune into, you know, especially when they're missing key players as well. Now, I have an interesting uh, thought here. Like, I think if I'm a Sabres fan, I want as many wins as possible. Now, that's weird to say because they're dead last, right? And, you know, mm -hmm. they have nothing to play for but the draft lottery. And as we've seen over, I think it's actually been recorded that in the past 10 years, the last place team has only won the draft lottery twice. So if I'm a Sabres fan, I want as many wins as possible because uh, as it stands right now, the odds to get fourth if you're dead last is 50.7%. You know, that's a, that's kind of a big problem if yeah. you're the NHL, but I guess, you know, that kind of eliminates tanking. And as we saw last year, the Red Wings kind of got screwed by that because they dropped from one to four. So, uh, you know, I think that the Sabres need to win because they don't want to get screwed by the draft lottery like they did in 2015. Exactly. There's just a little bit of extra added pressure when you are the last place team going into the draft lottery. Uh, you know, like you mentioned, Detroit last year went from one to four. And the Avalanche, you know, they owned the Senators pick two years ago and they went from one to four. So, you know, yeah, maybe Buffalo does want to start winning some games. Something weird uh, happened during the Minnesota game is Zach Parise was benched for the last 13 minutes of the game. And I'm not sure what happened, but, you know, Minnesota won four nothing. So it's weird to see that a leader, you know, let alone like, a, I guess, a top six forward um, mm -hmm. would get benched. And really the only positive that I can see out of this benching is Dean Evanson holding all of his players accountable, despite what the score is. Yeah, exactly. You know, Zach Parise had an issue last week, you know, he got scratched. And in this game, he ended up getting benched, you know, hopefully Parise is able to, you know, collect his things and not have any issues for the rest of the season. But I think, yeah, it is a positive thing. You know, when you're a contending team like the Wild have kind of, you know, you know, appeared to be this season, like you mentioned, second in the West, um, you know, you're going to want your coach being able to, you know, be hard on the guys, no matter, you know, how the team is doing. You just kind of want to have, you know, a strict attitude, no matter what the situation is. If you're wondering where Keith Kincaid is, well, he just posted an 18-save shutout against Boston. So, you know, that's a huge confidence boost uh, to the kid who's been basically out of the league for almost a year or two. Uh, so, yeah, uh, great to see Keith Kincaid back in the net and posting uh, a huge shutout against a tough opponent. Yeah, knock on wood, he does well again tonight. He got the start as well, second straight game. So, luckily for him. You know, uh, Shesterkin out with a little bit of an injury. You know, maybe we'll see him come back this week. But Keith Kincaid taking advantage of uh, the injuries that are in the Rangers net. Tomas Hurdle made his return from, you know, suffering from the coronavirus disease <laughs> against the Anaheim Ducks. He posted two points, one goal and one assist. Great to see that so far he hasn't had any uh, short-term effects from it, any physical uh, short-terms from it uh, right now because it, clearly he's back and, you know, effective for the Sharks. Exactly. You know, they, they need everyone healthy as they can. You know, they have some nice pieces, you know, Thomas Hurdle, uh, you know, Timo Meyer, Logan Couture, Vander Kane, some decent pieces. Uh, but, you know, they need to be healthy in the lineup for the Sharks to do anything. You know, two years ago, they were only two games away from the cup final. You know, they lost to St. Louis in six in the conference final. But the Sharks team is just kind of, you know, flipped on its head. And now they're kind of viewed as, you know, a bottom feeder team in the league. Uh, but like you mentioned, Keith, uh, Thomas Hurdle is just a positive thing that we haven't seen any short-term effects so far. 
The Canucks ended the Oilers' four-game win streak. Uh, I thought this was notable because, uh, you know, maybe this is a bump in the road for the Oilers there. Like you mentioned, it's, uh, you know, they had an original adversity at the start of the season. Well, you know, maybe this Canucks loss there on uh, Saturday night would be, uh, you know, kind of adversity that they have to go through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, obviously, you know, not a good thing for the Oilers to lose, but, you know, potentially a positive thing. I've mentioned earlier that I don't love pairing McDavid and Drysaddle five on five together, just, you know, in terms of giving the Oilers a chance to win the game. And in this game, you know, they weren't able to do anything five on five. The one goal came on the power play. Uh, and then, you know, Thatcher Demko, he just played lights out and he's been so solid. It's tough, you know, when he's on his game to be getting anything on him. On Sunday, uh, you know, in terms of offense, uh, I think Anaheim should now call up Jamie Drysdale because he has nine points in 12 games. That's four goals and five assists. And, you know, if they're looking for offense like they did with, uh, you know, trying to move up Trevor Zegris, I think they should try and move up Jamie Drysdale right now. Exactly. I think, you know, he, he's a player. He's probably, you know, maybe not NHL ready on every team, but for Anaheim, you know, I think he could definitely step into their top six and, you know, bring an impact and get him a little bit, bit of experience, you know, before they try to, you know, compete with, you know, their current core. The Sens scored two goals in seven seconds on Sunday night against the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Battle of Ontario was back in action. Uh, you know, this was the fastest two goals in team history. And, you know, what a night to do it uh, against your, uh, you know, hometown rival. Yeah, you know, it was such an interesting one because, you know, with Leafs Ottawa, you think, you know, it's going to go one of two ways. There's going to be some way the Senators pull out the wind or the Leafs are going to blow them out. Uh, it was an interesting one, you know, right off the bat, the Senators were able to make it 2 nothing. you know, chasing Hutchinson, who's been solid so far this season. You know, Michael Hutchinson kind of got clowned on last year for being one of the worst goalies in the league. And I think we saw a bit of, you know, that Michael Hutchinson last night. And, you know, I just wanted to speak about the Leafs pull, you know, they pulled their goalie and it was a weird strategy because, you know, the Leafs pulled their goalie with about six minutes and 20 seconds left in the third period, mm -hmm. which resulted in a goal. They were down 4-1 at this point. So that would have made it 4-2. And then actually, Freddie Anderson, you know, changed during live play while their top two lines were rested. You know, the third mm -hmm. line was out, uh, the Engvall, uh, Mikheyev line that was out. And I thought that was really interesting that, you know, we never really see uh, a goalie do a line change while the play's going on. Yeah, no, it was, it was a super interesting, kind of weird, you know, end of the game scenario. I think, you know, in the past years, we've been seeing the strategy of, you know, having six guys out there, you know, later, you know, maybe with five minutes left, whereas, you know, pulling the goalie seemed like a really late game strategy a couple, you know, maybe 10 years ago. Uh, I was able to put, you know, two goals in the net. I think, like you mentioned, the final score was 4-3. And, you know, Kachuk and uh, Carl, Carl, Colin White uh, had multiple attempts to hit the empty net. And at that point, when Kachuk and White had their chances and they both missed, uh, I thought the Leafs were going to come back and win. Like, I really thought that was going to bite them in the rear end. Yeah, you know, you hate to see a missed empty net attempt because, you know, just if the other team is able to, uh, you know, turn things around and score, it's just going to hurt that much more. And, you know, if you're not sure who the Senators goalie is, well, refer to PegCast episode 22 because that was Joey Decord's first career NHL win. And if you missed 
uh, his post-game presser with uh, Kyle Bukowskis, another podcast guest, I should mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was awesome. I was happy during the whole night uh, seeing Decord look so confident, having his swagger. Uh, just a great story there. And, uh, you know, what, what a win. Uh, it was a real nail-biter of a win. Exactly. You know, the top team in the North, you're beating the Leafs. I think it's, you know, a great thing for Joey Decord. He's been solid so far, but... He's finally able to get that win and potentially he's going to start stealing even more starts from Matt Murray. And, you know, that was Toronto's uh, fifth loss in six games. And I should say that's Toronto's fifth regulation loss in the last six games. So, you know, not a bright spot if you're a Leafs fan. Yeah, that's what it took for Hogan to finally take them out of that top spot in his power rankings. I think they're number two this week and uh, they haven't been there since the Habs were number one. And, you know, you mentioned uh, to me uh, during this Down to the Wire episode here that the Isles and Devils game that you were watching actually ended in controversial fashion because it was due to a successful coach's challenge for offside. And that was a quarter of an inch. Like, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty of that offside rule. And I'm waiting for this to to happen in a Stanley Cup playoff game, all right? It's a Stanley Cup playoff game, and it's overtime. I don't care what game it is. I don't care if it's game one, two, three. I don't care. Stanley like Cup this, final, game seven. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we can add salt to the wound in Nine game seven. Like, this is – this is I'm so done with it, man. I don't know why – obviously people are hiring video replay assistants. Like you could probably get paid for that job just for sitting there and studying like, okay, now we have to see if this guy's offside. And, you know, it's just so annoying. It annoys me so much. I do agree. Obviously you do want a fair game and getting away with these things is a little like bit annoying. Like you said, uh, or like, you know, for players, if you're able to, if you lose the game and the other team was offside, it's unfortunate. But, you know, maybe there is a rule that is going to come in place, you know, in terms of the challenge during overtime, because it's just such a strange thing. You know, if the call wasn't made on the ice, you know, watching the replay to determine whether or not it was offside, the ref, you know, he should have been able to make the call right when it happened. It it looked pretty clear to me, uh, but it was just an unfortunate way to end things for the Devils and the Isles, you know, keep their winning streak alive. It is. And, you know, I think that, and plus, like, it's not like it was so egregious, right? And this this rule was placed, put in place because of the Matt Duchesne, right? So it's not like it was so blatant and so clear that the uh, Devils player was offside. Uh, you yeah. know, it was a quarter of an inch. Um, and I think at that point, you should just let it go. Like, players are still competing to the end of the game, right? Competing to the end of the game, right? No, 100%. And it made me sad because P.K. Subban scored the OT winner, had a nice little celebration, and had to have that taken away from him. Well, before we get to Pegs' predictions, like we should probably talk about the aforementioned power rankings put out by Zach Hogan. So, to start off, uh, we had the Jets at 1, uh, the Leafs at 2, the Oilers at 3, the Flames at 4, the Canucks at 5, the Habs at 6, and the uh, Sens at 7. So I'm going to go and share my power rankings for the week. I have the Jets number one. I have the Oilers number two. I have the Leafs third. I have Calgary fourth. I have Montreal fifth. I have Vancouver sixth. And I have Ottawa seventh. You know, I I, I pretty much don't have any issues with Hogan's uh, rankings. You could argue to put the Habs over the Vancouver Canucks. And that's probably what I would do. I think, you know, the reason that the Canucks are getting these wins right now is because Thatcher Demko is playing incredible. But, you know, when he goes maybe a little bit more down to earth, we might start to see, you know, the Canucks start to drop again in those power rankings. 
And I think, uh, you know, with the, uh, with, like I said, the Leafs are on a five, uh, you know, they're one in five in their last six games. I, I think that the Leafs have to be bottom three or not bottom three, but, but you know, they have to be third place. There's no reason why Edmonton shouldn't be second. Uh, you know, they're Edmonton's doing pretty well right now. Uh, Calgary yeah. obviously just finished a two game sweep over Montreal. So it makes sense that Calgary's in the fourth position over Montreal. So uh, that's just my take on it. Yeah, you know, the Leafs, obviously, I, I still do think they're, you know, top two team in the North. It's going to be tough to, you know, justify them anything other than that. So we For have me. set, oh, sorry. For me, at least, just that's the way I think. We have seven games on top Tuesday night. So getting into Pegs' predictions, I actually went seven and two last week. Uh, you know, I have the Devils beating the Sabres. I have the Islanders beating the Capitals. The Bruins over the Penguins. The Hurricanes over the Red Wings. The Wild over the Coyotes. Lightning over the Stars and the Avalanche over the Ducks. Not bad. Um, I'll take. I'll take. You know, my my streak comes to an end because I was taking the Sabers the last couple of weeks. Maybe that was a bad thing. Every time I picked them, they seem to lose. So I'll take the Devils this time. Uh, I'll agree with you on the Islanders. They're just playing super well right now. Uh, I'll go Bruins over Penguins. Uh, Hurricanes over Red Wings. Uh, Lightning over Coyotes. Uh, I'll actually go with the Stars over the Lightning. Like you mentioned, you know, they're losing. I'm not sure what the score is right now, but they're losing to Nashville. They had a couple bad games against Detroit. Maybe the Lightning are on a bit of a slump and people just aren't seeing that. Uh, And then I'll go with the Avalanche over the Ducks. I think that's an easy pick as well. Well, I'd like to thank Nolan Thode again for joining me on another edition of Down to the Wire. It's always a pleasure, Pags.